0: Welcome to another Distinct Nostalgia by M.I.M. More than a podcast. We're turning the clock back 30 years now as we remember the hit show The Darling Buds of May. As ITV reinvents the series for a new century with Bradley Walsh replacing David Jason in the role as Pa Larkin, we're meeting one of the show's original actors. Darling Buds, of course, made household names of Pam Ferris and Catherine Zeta-Jones and introduced many to Philip Franks, who played Charlie. Philip's been chatting to Ashley about both Darling Buds of May and, of course, his huge role in Heartbeat. Perfect, as Paul Arkin would say.
1: Philip, it's lovely to talk to you. Let's talk about um, Darling Buds of May uh, because it is it is quite a long time ago now. Um, I have the image of it, obviously David Jason and all the rest of it. You were one of the main parts of it. Just tell us about your memories of that and when it first came about and what you thought it was going to be. and Give us a picture of, the, of, of that time in your life.
2: Um, well, it, it came about through entirely conventional channels. Um, my agent, who was also David's agent, uh, rang up and said, there are these books. Did you read them when you were small? And I said, I didn't. And uh, she said, I think you'd be very right for this. I'm going to really push. Um, and uh, Push, she did, and four uh, interviews, four lengthy interviews. I never did a screen test, but I just kept being called back and meeting more and more people um, and, I suppose, getting getting approval ticks sort of along the line of power. Um, and in that process, um, I read all the books and thought, well, really, if I don't get cast as this, I may as well send my equity card back because it seemed so very much in the center of what I knew I could do. Um, and it's, for people who, you know, for people who lived on Mars during the 90s, it's, um, it's set in the, in a sort of nebulous late 50s, early 60s paradise in Kent where it's always sunny and there's abundant food and sex is guilt free. And uh, we've focused on a particular family, the Larkins working class family who are into all sorts of um, wheeler deals and um, and that their kind of um, flirting with the the fringes of criminality is completely offset by their enormous generosity of spirit and particularly love for each other. They've got millions of children, they eat enormous meals every day, the sun always shines, and the jewel in their particular bucolic crown is their daughter Mariette, who is... um, uh the, the darling bud of may of 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 the title really I suppose she's incredibly beautiful she's she's very sexy she's um she's very nice she's very generous and the story starts with the parents thinking and herself thinking that she's pregnant and she can't remember whose the baby is so into their lives comes a repressed gray buttoned up terrified tax inspector, um, and they run rings around him in many, many ways. He falls in love with Mariette. Unexpectedly, she falls in love with him, and he is our doorway into the story, really. You know, it's this sealed world of happiness and beauty. And through him, through his melting into humanity, um, we are led into this paradise ourselves. Um, and they get married. And, um, I mean, it really is, it's the ultimate feel good show. And I think it, it hit a particular nerve at the time, which none of us realized it was going to hit. Um, I think we all thought that it was a small, gentle, mild, little thing charming but without much plot and without obvious enormous gags so it was neither a comedy nor a drama really but what it was was a a a wish fulfillment that struck many 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 people's hearts Um, they they wanted the weather they wanted the food they wanted the happiness they wanted the absence of guilt they wanted a, a, a better world and there was a lot on television which was at that time, um, very good, but very, very dark. Um, a lot of cr- crime series where, um, you know, brutal murders were inadequately solved and and the detective was living a life of abject misery and loneliness. And then along came this thing on Sunday evening, something that everybody could watch, and it went at completely ballistic and took us all totally by surprise. Uh, apart from my friend Maggie Steed, who used to help me with my lines, and said at the end of one of them, You're all going to be household names. And I laughed and laughed and laughed. And then the day after it was first broadcast on the Sunday, I walked down my street and the news, the, the fruit and veg men at the end of the road were holding up copies of the tabloids and we were everywhere.
1: Yeah, I do remember it. And it was perfect, did you say, for Sunday nights? Produced, of course, by Yorkshire Television, mm-hmm. um, which was a, a bastion of great. Uh, program making back in the day, um, and it certainly was lots and lots of things, um, and it ran for was it three series altogether? Three
2: series? three series with some Christmas specials in between. Yes, so but basically it was it was our lives for for three summers. Um, yeah, yeah. We it wasn't full time. We we all went away and did other projects in between. Um, but yeah, it it, it it sort of consumed our. Li- uh, changed our lives, I think, probably, probably not David's because he was enormously famous and successful already. But it certainly changed uh, changed lives for the, the the other three of us.
1: Well, absolutely, it made made you all well household names, as you say, at that particular yeah. time. What was it like? In, I mean, had
2: you worked with any of
1: them before? Uh,
2: no, I knew Pam, um, because Pam is a theatre animal as as I am, and I'd I'd seen her in in shows done by she had experience in other very very good sort of fringe shows um um, and I'd seen her in the seagull directed by Mike Alfreds and she was brilliant so I knew perfectly well that she was a really fine actress um Catherine um because I'm not I don't know I don't know anything about musicals really um she was completely new to me she wasn't as new to the to the profession as, as the publicity um, machine would have had it because actually she'd been going probably for longer than I had you know she was very much a child performer and a very very good one um, you know she'd done West End musical after musical after musical and while we were rehearsing when she was I think 20 um, I went to see her in a in an opera at the um, Coliseum a Kurt Weill opera called Street Scene in which she had one number um, moon Moonface starry eyes and she completely lit up the stage so you know it wasn't a surprise
1: what about your character then and you kept telling me you, you kept going back and back for you know to to, to, them to try you out and all the rest of it did you how much did you know about that character that you ended up playing
2: everything <laughs> I think by the time we started, you know, I I knew all there was to know, Um, and then it was then it was all about reacting with the others and getting the getting the relationships. I mean, I was always um, well in the first series anyway, the first and best series. um, I I was always slightly on the outside, looking in, and and being being coaxed, being welcomed, being tricked, whatever. So I I had very much it was it was the three of them over there and me over here. and and that's great. That's great fun to that's great fun to play. In a way, once um, once Charlie's um, transformation is complete and he's welcomed into the family, there's not an enormous amount for him to do, except to sit around and be happy. But you quite
1: like that, I'm sure.
2: Oh, that's all right. It's no, problem, <laughs> no No harm in eating roast goose uh, in a sunny Sunday afternoon in Kent.
1: the worst ways to earn a living yeah no absolutely absolutely um i mean it was you're right it was it was magical it was something which everyone seemed to like everybody from every generation could enjoy it um and did you notice fairly quickly that um it was people were noticing you and recognizing you and all that kind of thing did it i mean obviously david was used to it as you say for you know open all hours and all the rest of it and and um um
2: Aldi fools and horses and uh, fools and horses particularly yeah. Uh, yes uh, yeah, we noticed pretty quickly and then uh, but then it really snowballed um I, mean, I I was completely you know i'd been acting for years and years and years and years and years, but I was completely unprepared for what um you know tabloid fame was um and uh yeah it's very disconcerting um and yes you did, you did i mean I, I I still get recognized to this day although it 's' a hundred years ago, um, often by taxi drivers and uh, often by taxi drivers who live in kent like, i i get recognized by policemen because of heartbeat. Um, oh, I had a sergeant like you who was a real bastard and um uh, but the taxi drivers uh remember darling Buds. oh, we used to go fruit picking hop picking blah 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 um, but for for suddenly for 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 ten years it was um it was uh something that you encountered on a daily basis yeah
1: was it all filmed in kent
2: no 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 um, the, all the exterior shots the the exterior of the farm the um the the, the fields the um bluebell woods they're all in kent all basically within a radius of Ashford. Um, But every single interior, a bit like Doctor Who, you go in through a door in, or Cluedo, you go through a door in Canton, come out into a room in Yorkshire. Um, Because as you said earlier on, it was Yorkshire TV. So uh, all the interior uh, stuff was done in in Leeds.
1: Yes, you had to spend quite a bit of time in Leeds. uh, Yes, uh, yeah, about
2: half and half per episode um, as it went on. The first series, when the weather was... Glorious, I mean, ridiculously glorious extras fainting in coils left, right, and centre. Um, uh, w- there was, I think, probably more time spent in Kent, but um, uh, as it went on, uh, we we ended up doing more and more interior stuff, and and that was so. It was mostly Yorkshire-based, yeah.
1: And at that time, as I said before, Yorkshire TV, you know, because we had the, all the big ITV regions: Granada, Yorkshire, Thames, etc. Um, it was a, a bastion of creativity, wasn't it? You know, you it certainly you was there see loads of different people doing loads of fantastic projects.
2: Couldn't you? There was a, particularly a man uh, he called Vernon Lawrence, who ran the, the the light entertainment side of of Yorkshire Drama, and it was it was very much his baby. He was him together with um, R- R- Richard Bates and and originally Robert Banks Stewart um, were, were the sort of um, the, the, the three brains behind it. I mean, Richard being, obviously, H.E. Bates' son, so with a, a massive vested interest. But um, I think it was really Vernon that got it going.
1: And he'd had a history of so many things. He'd done yeah. just about every one of the of Yorkshire TV's brilliant comedies over the years and things. You know, he got Only oh, When I Laugh, and I think he was part of Rising Damp and all the rest of it, wasn't he? He'd gone back along I
2: think so. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, he had He had, a, had an eye.
1: He did. He was a bit of a legend, was Vernon. Um, yeah. So... What about the chemistry because obviously you had to create something between and you not know you didn't know these people obviously you're an actor so that's part of the whole of the job of creating chemistry but what was it like to, to work with particularly David Jason um, well, D-
2: D- David. Um, D- I mean, I've, I've talked a lot about D- David Jason on, on on camera. I've done many documentaries about him, and uh, so I, I always tend to be uh, on, on repeats a bit. D- David is is not the character he plays. He is he's a very 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 serious-minded, very hardworking actor and a very shy man. And um, whereas Pam and Catherine and I were were together. You know, Socially, uh, you know, we all, all stayed in the same hotel. We'd go out to dinner every night with each other. We got to know each other very quickly, very well. It took a lot longer to get to know David, partly because he uh, he was so famous then. I think none of us really realised that he couldn't really go anywhere without being badgered and pestered. And eventually, I think Pam was bravest of us all. Probably said, "You know, why don't you ever come out and eat with us?" And he went, "Well, all right, I'll show you what happens if I do." So we went to some hotel. Restaurant, and it was a, it was horrible. You know, he was literally every five minutes, "Oh, can I have a photograph?" Oh, Dellboy, and say something funny, and he's not a comic. He's not. He's not a wise cracking man out of his own head. He's an actor um, and a hugely skillful one, but he doesn't have the wisecracks at his fingertips. He wants to be left alone. So I think um, in the first year, there was a slight sense that he was holding us at arm's length. He didn't quite, maybe didn't quite trust us. I don't know what. Um, certainly that was not the case when it, when it was proven that the chemistry was working. And I've worked with him since. I've, I've directed him uh, on the radio. Um, and, you know, he, he couldn't be nicer and easier to work with. But you have to earn his trust, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that.
1: Absolutely. No, I, I understand that. And you're right, he's a very serious actor. And a great it shows, doesn't it, in terms of the parts he's played. A bit like Ronnie Barker, actually. Yeah, yeah
2: he's he a right. uh, great part. mentor. Ronnie, Ronnie Barker is the, is the person that, that um, I never heard David to say anything other than massive praise and respect for him he was a hugely important man in him david's life
1: absolutely i worked with david on a documentary that we did a tv documentary about called cartoon kings which is all about cosgrove hall films where of
2: course,
1: <sighs> where of course he played uh, danger mouse, danger mouse. You know I mean? um and Legendary. yeah it, it, it was lovely it was really nice and um yeah, he's a great guy, but yeah, very as you say, very, very, very serious, and which a lot of actors are, aren't they? You know, a lot of actors are quite serious people, and they're they're not necessarily in it for all the the, the fame and being
2: recognised and all that. No, kind of absolutely thing. not, absolutely not. Which, which I think a lot of people find quite hard to understand, particularly uh, in in our uh, in our celebrity culture of the last twenty years or whatever, where where fame is is a be all and end all. You know. Um, which has dominated and nearly destroyed the United States with its reality TV president, um, who, thank God, we've now waved goodbye to. Um, But there has been a cult of, 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 of fame for its own sake. And there are really, really very few actors that I've come across for whom that is the driving force. There are a few, of course there are.
1: We'll be back after a quick break you still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You yeah. feel me? Loading them up on
2: it, it only takes structure,
1: and, and you know just paying attention to the climate of the game.
2: Yeah, know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little? You know, man? Yeah,
0: yeah. We all we all artists over here, man. Y'all yeah,
2: I'm trying, I'm trying,
3: I'm yeah. trying to get them on there. Yeah, me, me, Look, look, look. We all artists, man. We go. You feel me? We gonna have this like.
2: Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we'd be like, I don't know, we play we play with this <laughs> play shit right with this now. shit. I got we play with this shit right now for, for I, oh, I gonna Don't, lie. Play,
1: don't play with it, take that shit sir. so darling buds of May, what do you think it um gave you? Because you're you're quite a young man at that particular point. What did it give you? I don't mean in terms of financial stability and all that kind of thing, and, and whatever. What what did you learn from doing Darling Buds of May, do you think?
2: Um I learned a lot about how uh, how a television set works. I mean, I had I'd done television series before. Um, they, I'd, I'd done a couple of big Dickens series for the BBC, um, but this was a this was a continuing drama without a massive amount of of, of um, action. So you 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 learnt how to relax in front of a camera, I suppose, and how to just be. Um, I mean, that's always saying, assuming that I did learn that. But but that that was the opportunity that was given to us was to be at ease with the camera, which is something that David certainly was. He he understood how it worked, and I understood m- much more about how. I mean, I've uh, theatre's been my my um, my life and the place where I feel most comfortable and secure. Um, so often, I found a film set, a TV set. Um, quite baffling you think what are who are all these people and what are they all doing um and then you realize you realize what they're doing you realize that nobody is wasting their time and the person who may be leaning against a wall having a cigarette has actually been up since four uh, rigging some lights so it, it is it is a um uh, it's a little um example of democracy in action a, a film set or it should be there shouldn't be anybody i mean yes obviously there's a director to say action but there shouldn't be anybody bossing anybody else around it should work in in harmony and it's part of your job as an actor to make sure that it does to turn up on time and well prepared and to learn how to keep yourself in a state of readiness where you're not always champing at the bit or panting in the slips or whatever people do but where you can turn it on when the when you need to with the theater you have you gear yourself up in a very different way you 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 know you can you, you, as long as you're ready to go at 7.30 or 8 o'clock or whatever it is, then you can get there however you like. But then you need to be on it and concentrated for the two and a half hours that you need to be. With a, with filming, it's very, very, very different. You, you'll be working in bursts of a minute or a minute and a half at all through a long working day. And it's your job to keep yourself um, prepared for that and uh, uh, Harrison Ford did a brilliant interview about what what it's like being a working actor and he compared it to um being a working working with wood you just have to know how to make the joints and uh and, and what nail goes where and you know it's 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 a craft and, and I think it's possibly more of a craft working with a camera than it is working on stage, where to some extent you can you can sort of fling yourself around and change things and do things differently night after night. Um, with 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 working on television, you owe it to an enormous group of people to be ready and prepared.
1: What you mentioned about um, Darling Buds and May not having a great deal of action in it, and 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 you're right. And actually, um, in a way. That time in television seems to have gone, doesn't it? Because we all we get now is everything action-packed. Even the soaps have become... Where the soaps were very much about language at one time and about, you know, um just basically people gossiping a lot of the time. And yeah. you know, the character, everything's become about events and moments and action and whatever. Yeah. Um, that's what's nice about Darling Buds and May, um, that it's not about that. It is about, you know, people having conversations and things like that. And, and mm-hmm. as you say, not a great deal happening, because actually in, in our lives sometimes things, not a lot does happen. But yeah. do you think we've lost something by not having more programming, which is more about language and people's communication, rather than, you know, action, action, action kind of thing? Uh,
2: I, yes, I think there's... Th- I mean, I, I love an action film as, as much as the next man. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to tap into the Marvel universe. But, uh, but equally, uh, the, the work that I've just been doing, I've been filming um, four monologues, uh, which were written for the radio by, by Peter Barnes in the 1980s. And they are just, um, you, you're being invited into somebody's head for 20 minutes. And th- there's as much action and drama inside somebody's eye as there is on the interstate highway.
1: No, you're absolutely right. I mean, talking about distinct nostalgia, we're doing a series called Generation Games, where we're trying to put older and younger actors together oh. and, um, and to explore the issue of older and younger people, their relationships generally, because I feel that, you know, as somebody who comes up with ideas constantly for radio, running a production company, everyone's always obsessed with, oh, it's got to be age centric, oh, it's got to be aimed at the under 35s or whatever. Yeah, I know. Quite important to have, a connection between, you know, older and younger people, because older and younger people do communicate. So we've just we've just started commissioning someone. The first one we did, which you can hear on Distinct Nostalgia, um, is uh, a, a, a one with June Brown. We, we, we call it Missing You, and um, it's basically, it's about an elderly lady who's in isolation during the coronavirus, who's got a, a Down syndrome, son who's is also isolated, they can't meet each other. And so we've got June, we've got Sam Barnard. Um, young um. And, and yeah. they've got two monologues and they talk about, um, you know, their, their, their relationship really. And uh, um, it's gone gone down a storm. People people loving it, you know. So you're right, you know, the, 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 it's great that, that um, you know, maybe actually, maybe having this situation that we're in does mean that because actually they can't create on TV and film the action that they'd like to, they're going to have to focus a little bit more on uh
2: on the word, on the, inter- on yeah. the interior. Well, yes. I, you know, people are finding all sorts of ways to to create um, with the material that we have. The company I work with, we've got a ghost story out online which I wrote and um, and co-directed. Um, and although there is not a lot, a lot of physical action, quite a lot happens. You know, it's not it's not just um, it's not just somebody reading the news. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, but it, but it's, um, it, it's well, it's, well yeah, you're a radio connoisseur like I am in the sense of it's, yeah. about, it's about using your imagination, isn't it? Yeah, of and course it
2: is, of course it is.
1: And that imagination can be just as active as uh, watching something on, on screen, can't it? Absolutely. Y- you bet, yes. <laughs>
2: that said, thank God for Netflix.
0: <laughs> and Ashley's distinct nostalgia chat with Philip Franks will continue in just a few minutes. The autumn arrives on Distinct
3: Nostalgia with a host of new soap, drama, comedy and entertainment treats, including Casualty at 35. We mark the show's milestone birthday by meeting the woman who uttered the very first words.
2: I think the first
3: words were goodnight. (laughs) Seems ironic, but yes.
0: (laughs) And then in actual birthday week, Distinct Nostalgia meets a woman who became one of the main female faces fans took to their heart for several decades. Kathy Shipton, who became Duffy.
3: So you'd go into this rehearsal room. The whole room is laid out like the studio set. They've got it there and you haven't got a clue. And then they've got poles and they're saying the poles are the edge of the cubicles. So all of us will be going in going... And my first shot, I walked in on the real set in BBC Studio D in White City and I went, and they went, Kath, you don't have to do that because it's a real
0: curtain, you know, all of this ridiculousness.
3: And we've other casualty blasts from the past
0: as we repeat our conversation with Jonathan Kerrigan. And then there's some intriguing soap specials. We're meeting the first Tracy, Christabel Finch, who played the character from her birth in 1977.
3: It felt very normal because it'd been like ever since I was a baby, I'd been there every single week filming get out of school get out the spelling test and go down to the studios my friends were not very aware of it and i remember one person saying to me saying are you on sesame street and i was like no i'm on coronation street
0: and we've a surprise emmerdale reunion there's also a magpie reunion what was very different about
3: ours is first of all we were all much better looking and- oh come oh on. <laughs> <laughs> I never said that. <laughs> I think we were younger than the Blue Peter presenters. You know, just a bit more in tune with the people that watched us. We had seven million people watching twice a week. And Tim Vincent goes in search of Valerie Singleton, bumping into other Blue Peter stars along the way.
1: Stuart Miles. Tim Vincent. As I breathe.
3: Uh, what are you calling me for? What do you want? Well, I'm actually looking for uh, Valerie Singleton's number, but of course, I'm checking in on you.
0: Trips to Sun Hill and the Bill,
3: memories of Darling Buds of May, The Tomorrow People, and interviews with classic stars Jeanette Scott and Melvin Hayes, and legendary TV composer Dennis
0: King. Our great sitcom writer series continues as we sit down with Clement and Lafrenet, who penned Porridge and The Likely Lads.
1: That had an instant response. The very next day I was shooting a commercial and nobody had any idea that I had anything to do with it, but I heard them all talking about it. and That that made me feel that maybe we had another hit.
3: A bumper autumn of memories, only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. (laughs) If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, we would be living in a totally different format.
1: A brand new podcast featuring rarely heard voices from across the UK and around the world.
0: Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies.
2: And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up.
1: Contemporary conversations around bisexuality.
3: Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. We are questioned so much more than people when they come out as straight or
1: gay. It's intense pressure of like, am I sure? You're literally like monitoring yourself. Every episode will include a very personal story as we try to paint a real picture of bisexual Britain. This is Bisexual Brunch. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. As well
3: as amazing interviews just like the one you're listening to now, the Distinct Nostalgia podcast is also home to an epic radio quiz.
0: Oh, I've never heard of it.
3: Where listeners just like you go head-to-head on their favourite TV shows and films and put
0: their general knowledge to the test. There's a bonus point if you can sing the theme tune, but I know you're not going to, are you? Skippy, skippy, skippy the bush kangaroo is all I can remember now. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that earns you a point. Yeah, I'll go for that.
3: A brand new season of the Distinct Nostalgia Mind of the Month quiz is almost here, and it needs you.
0: Prisoner cell block. Cell block B. Prisoner cell block H.
3: Simply pick your favourite TV show or film and get in touch at distinctnostalgia.com
0: or by messaging us on Twitter. Have a go at three British films, just have a guess. Oh,
1: whistle down the wind, carry on up the Khyber. No, this is rubbish, I'm sorry. No, I don't <laughs> the, know. <laughs> they're not bad
0: attempts actually.
3: And the two leading minds from across the month compete head to head in the final for a coveted Distinct Nostalgia mug. It's almost like a trophy. The Distinct Nostalgia Mind of the Month quiz. Got there in the <laughs> End. <laughs> Coming this autumn.
1: Oh, it's amazing!
0: They always are.
1: <laughs> Obviously, Darling Buds and May um, helped to sort of put you on the map, as it were. Um, but though you've done quite a lot of other stuff over the years, I know that you know you've done other things as well. It wasn't just Darling Buds and May. But often it's these moments, isn't it? You get this moment where you suddenly become uh, a, a big name. What What did it do to you in the sort of months and years afterwards did you suddenly get quite a lot of work or were you typecast or what what did it do for you
2: in terms of acting it didn't really to be honest have much of an effect um i i carried on doing plays um i tried to do plays that were um di- as different as possible um i did get uh, i mean i i did get offered maybe higher profile like West End plays. I did I, I did art, who didn't? But I, I did I did a very happy run in the 3 handed play art, which I certainly wouldn't have been offered if I hadn't done Darling Buds. Um, the 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 um, the extra stuff was. Um, was more the sort of unexpected things like uh, being invited to be a guest on Countdown, and I did about two hundred of them. Um, and then, that was Yorkshire TV as well. But again, I, that would never have come about if I hadn't, um, if I hadn't, if the profile hadn't been up a bit. So I, I did a lot of a lot of kind of weird things that I wouldn't have imagined myself doing. But in terms of of actually what what the um, what the acting was, it remained pretty much the same. I think. Countdown, of course,
1: is an institution in itself, and yeah. um, I, I remember uh, <laughs> to go there because my, my dad was a friend of a of a projectionist in the 1980s. You don't have them anymore, do you? And I used to go, <laughs> I used to go in the summertime and watch Countdown being filmed in the very early years when Richard uh, um, Richard Wiley really? was doing it kind of, kind of thing. Um, what, what's it like? What's it like being in uh, in in the corner on that so that show?
2: Oh, it's great, I loved it, I loved it. You were, you, were, you, you were given absolutely no direction whatsoever, except one terrible warning, which was, um, I better not say her name, but um, that there was, you are told, do not be like Actress X, because uh, actress when Actress X was on the first day, the first programme, they said, uh, coming up to the commercial break, right, we'll go over to X and, and she'll um, have something to say. She didn't, she didn't have anything to say. She hadn't prepared a thing. So she got, got, gulped a bit and said, oh, let, let's have a cup of tea. And next day, Richard said it again, we'll go over to Actress X. Um, let's have another cup of tea. And then on the third day, he went, we'll go over to Actress X, who will tell us what went wrong with her career over the last 10 years. Fabulous, fabulous.
1: The great thing about Richard was, he, he always got the, I mean, he was great. I mean, I grew up in Yorkshire and we, you know, he interviewed every Prime Minister. that Everyone everyone in Yorkshire used to rush home to watch, even when I was a kid, used to rush home to watch Calendar. Nobody was bothered about the national news at the Calendar because Richard was yeah. on it. And the great thing about Richard was, he always got the impression he was just feeling his way through it, really. uplink <laughs> his way through it. But he's a very intelligent guy, knew exactly what he was doing, but that was yeah. just part of his
2: character, wasn't it, really? The, you know, the extraordinary thing about him, and I think his great gift, was that he was exactly the same on and off screen. Um, and that's not something that that many people can do.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So you got a, a bit of a relationship going with Yorkshire Television. Yeah, um, and, and um, they rewarded you yet again with heartbeat. So tell us a little bit about getting the part in heartbeat.
2: Yeah, um, that um, that uh, again was through my. my beloved agent, now retired Meg, Meg Poole, who, um, uh, who rang and said, have you ever watched a programme called Heartbeat? And to my, to my abiding shame, I hadn't. Um, and she then said, can you do a Welsh accent? Uh, I thought, well, sort of. I mean, some of my family's from Wales, so I suppose I could kind of say that I had some Welsh roots whatever Um, and she said well try and brush one up by tomorrow could you (laughs) and um so I rang a I rang a Welsh actor friend who gave me some very good advice um about he said the only phrase you need to know is the is the title of the Beatles song here there and everywhere and if you can do that that's got all the, the 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 vital Welsh vowels here there and everywhere and he said if you can do that you'll be fine so I, I went in and um the bit they gave me he was the character sergeant craddock was so sour and prissy and um buttoned up and 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 kind of um, unpleasant i thought this is marvelous i'd love to do this because you know you talked about um typecasting to some extent and and i, I suppose i have tended to play kind of you know nice, well-behaved, well-spoken, middle-class boys. Um, and Sergeant Craddock was like Robespierre, um, you know, a, a, a martinet, and um, apparently completely humorless. And I thought, this is brilliant, I'd love to do this. Um, so maybe my enthusiasm um, won the day.
1: Fabulous, fabulous. Now, of course, by the point of time you got into it, it was already a, a bit of an institution in itself. You know, it, it was. It? It was. Such a long time. and. You know, we're talking about nostalgia. I mean, that is the main thrust of it, isn't it? It's all about Completely. nostalgia Completely. at the end of the day. But for you as actors, of course, the big thing is that you're obviously you do um, a lot of the interiors and things, I presume, in Leeds itself, but you're out and about mainly, aren't you? North York, mainly. Right yeah. In North mainly right in the open, you know. I mean, tell us a yeah. bit about that working in the, I mean, it's a beautiful. Um, room, a
2: beautiful yeah, absolutely gorgeous area. Um, unless the weather was bad, which it quite often was, um, it, 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 it Goethland, um, that was the village that uh, Aidensfield uh, it, um, played, um, Gothland is about 14 miles in line from Whitby, um, and it, it kind of nestles in, um, in, in a valley in the Moors, um, which you can only get to by driving down very, very, very steep hills, so if there's uh, anything remotely resembling bad weather, you're completely stuck. Um, but nonetheless, there we were in our in our horrible little Ford Anglias and our, our big thick, thank goodness for them, police greatcoats, um, going out with torches, um, apprehending uh, minor felons. Um, with with that, we weren't allowed many murders. I think we were allowed two murders per series um, because it, it, it was very much, um, again, very much family oriented. Um, uh, with a, a larger, a larger cast of regulars, but nonetheless a kind of family of regulars that you got to know. Um, and it was quite difficult. It's like it, was big, it was like marrying into a family. Jason Durr and myself were the, were the newbies um, are in this, coming into this thing that had been a massive success and uh, which had worked out its own lineaments and its own relationships. And it was really very, very difficult to go into it. It was n- entirely unlike you know, going taking over in a play, or or, or starting something from scratch. You, you you were very aware that you were coming into somebody else's home.
1: What series was it you started in? What was the, do you remember what series it was?
2: Oh Lord, I don't know. Um, was, um, uh, when Nick Berry yeah. left completely, uh, and they brought in Jason, and then a few episodes later, uh, they had decided, I think, rather against his um, against his will, to retire. Um, Derek, um, but but they didn't want him to leave the series. They retired him to the um, to the first of all the village shop, and then to the pub. Um, so he was still a kind of um, a, a bastion of of the village life. Um, but he was no longer the sergeant, and. Um, there was some bad feeling about that. There, there certainly was, uh, you know, not personally, but I, I think, you know, nobody really likes change, especially if, if something is working very well. But they decided, for good or ill, that the, the the central police relationship needed to be between constable and sergeant, and they wanted to just redefine it. So as Jason is different from Nick, so they wanted somebody different from Derek, um, but, but, they, but they kept him there.
1: Derek was of course the one constant throughout the entire 18
2: series. Absolutely long service award. Yes. Yeah, and Billys, and Billy Simons as well. Of, of um, who was there unsung hero, terrific actor, terrific and delightful delightful cultured man, wonderful cook, very um very gentle man, um, lovely. Um, and, and, you're, and
1: you're, like you say you were you were replacing I mean Nick Berry had been huge and yeah. uh, you know and 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 it it, it yeah it was his series wasn't it basically completely him
2: and neve cusack yes that's what it started as
1: exactly so how did you you mentioned how diff, that it was difficult to do that i mean you, and you say you got you know there was a response to that people some people it takes a while for people to get used to things, does
2: not it well I, mean, it, um, I think it was possibly harder for Jason than for me because I, I was I was taking over from Derek, who was at least still there um whereas you know Jason was in a uh, dead man's shoes um Nick 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 was gone down to Cornwall. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now of course it's you know it's a police series and we know you know television in this country is full of police series, either police series or or doctors' series kind of thing. But it's set in a particular period. It's set in the nineteen sixties. And yep. policing then, of course, was different than it is today. Yep. What did you what did you have to obviously I know you get scripts and all this but was there anything that surprised you about just the whole thing of being playing a policeman in the 60s
2: um, uh, well it was uh, it was again it was less um it was in a way less story led than um community led if you like because I, I think the i mean the books certainly which i've i've now uh, recorded as as audio books they are all about they're not about like case histories although they are anecdotally what they're mainly about is what it's like being a member of that community and how people treat you what you what good you can do with them but when you need to get involved when you don't um how you fit in and live and breathe as part of a rural community and and although it's not a documentary series i think i think that's that and the songs and the cars are very much part of its charm that it gives a a, a sense of a um, of a forgotten world of a, of a, of a, a a rural village life um in, in a way the thing that's nearest to it of course is called the midwife nowadays um in in that yes there is human interest but uh, and, and and crises uh, we know there's a weekly crisis of some kind of, to a greater or lesser extent but what it's mainly about is how a a group of uh, in their case nuns, in our case police, um, uh, function and impact upon a local society.
1: And it's true, isn't it? I mean, I, I was born in the 19, early 1970s, um, and even in the late 70s, even in the early 80s to an extent, I, and I grew up in an urban area, but I remember, you know, the doc, the lo- my doctor and also um, the local constable used to parade around the, the village or whatever, a little, uh, you know, sort of semi-urban, semi raw semi-urban area that we lived in. Uh, being people you knew, you yeah. actually knew them to an extent.
2: Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. and that's not to an extent, you you absolutely did know them. You knew their names. You knew what they liked. You knew where they lived. Um, all, all those things, and that, and that's that in the in the source books, and indeed in the series, that's that's absolutely at the centre of it. That you know, if Mrs Thing hasn't turned up. At the village hall, then you put, might pop round and have a you know just just check in um, so it 's not all about my baby 's been stolen from outside the post office or you know somebody 's nicked the lead from the church roof. It could equally be about somebody coping with loneliness or bereavement um, or Romantic entanglements, or something, something funny, or joy—you know—that um, were. They, it's not a gloomy, serious heartbeat at all. It's the, the 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 mood is um, is is always is always up, and even with a, a serious storyline, they'd always set it against the um, the the, the Greengrass, Bernie scripts um, side of things, which is always tends to be more comedic. Um, so it that they they talked about you know the heart and the beat. Uh, as as being the the important uh, the important contrasting but absolutely yin and yang components of the series that you 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 mustn't have an episode without one of those.
1: And talking about getting to know people, did you? Does it lend itself to you ending because you're there a lot of the time? Do you end up uh, getting to know people in that particular community in
2: Ainsfield and all that area? Um, to some extent, I mean, it was it was. It was pretty hard work. I mean, we got to know the people who ran the uh, the, the Malian Spout, which was the, um, the the place where the hotel that we all stayed in. I mean they were like extended family. Um, and when he, every so often somebody would leave the series, not 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 that often actually, because you know it was an enjoyable place to be. Um, but when I left, for instance, um, the Jeffrey Hughes, who was in it then as a regular, um, knew that I liked um, uh, English folk music. And he also knew that, that perhaps the, the, the greatest English folk singers who are alive at the moment, Martin Carthy and Norma Waterston, lived nearby. And he got them over to the pub on my last day and they just sat in the bar and sang. And that was unforgettable and marvelous and very much of the piece. You know, it wasn't like buying in Elton John. Um, it was these people lived down the road. And um so, in a way, they're they're doing what they would probably do on a Saturday night anyway, but they're just doing it with a bunch of actors
1: Fabulous, fabulous. Now you mentioned there, uh, Jeffrey Hughes, a fantastic actor, goes back yeah. a long way. I remember him as Eddie, Eddie Yates in Coronation Street as a kid, um, yeah. and of course, Onslow in uh, keeping appearances, but. um there were other people in there, weren't there? There, were, there obviously is Derek, as you mentioned, but there was also Bill Maynard was in the series as well. Yeah, that.
2: and, and um, to give a shout out to my, my favourite and uh, beloved friend who's recently also passed away, Peter Benson. Yes, uh, of, course. Who, of course. As Bernie, uh, who again was the most, the funniest and most cultured, gentle man. An absolute delight. Very, very different from the person he played, um, but a hoot, just yes. a glorious chap.
1: Fantastic. Well, tell us a little bit about some of them. Obviously, Derek, um, who I know vaguely as well, um, the fantastic actor, and uh, a, yeah. real, a real shock to lose him last year. I
2: know, um, I know, I know. Suddenly, very suddenly um, but Under- underrated actor, really. Yeah. I think. Um, I think Derek. Uh, the, there was a. I mean, he, he was very comfortable and he earned very, very well. But there was a sense in Derek of um, a little bit of what might have been. I think you know he belonged to a generation of people who become movie stars, um, and if you watch some of his other performances, I mean, in 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 um, uh, the Yes Minister, Yes Prime Minister series, he is absolutely pitch perfect in his uh, in his irony and his comic timing, and I, I think maybe the heartbeat was um, a bit of a gilded cage.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. What about um, what about Bill and um, and Jeffrey? Because they were obviously they were doing the comedy roles generally, weren't
2: they? Yeah, I didn't. To be honest, I didn't really work much with Jeffrey. Um, we we would socialise because obviously we're staying in the same place, and again we had the same agent. Um, but uh, we we I'm not sure we ever had a scene together. Um, Bill, I, I did obviously because um, Bill. Uh, and and the law the green grass and the law were at constant loggerheads that's again a sort of uh, a, a theme that runs through the whole thing um and he um he was uh he was a tremendously um, popular character yeah
1: absolutely and of course the other thing about the series i've interviewed jonathan Kerrigan, who, of course played one of the uh, played the main part in in more recent times and he was talking to me about um the response he got because if you're the if you if you're the younger one in it, it was very much you know there's this heartbeat thing, but there's very much a heart throb thing as well. You know what I mean? The younger actors get a lot of that. And oh yeah. It became quite a big thing, didn't it? Was that um, what, what, what? What response did you get? Were you? I mean,
2: <laughs> <laughs> certainly not. Certainly not that. <laughs> I used to get a certain amount of, of um, uh, <laughs> shy lonely heartthrob letters when I was playing Charlie because I think I was so completely unthreatening um, but I, I don't think I ever received any uh, anything re- oh apart from one letter um, where which was very very serious it went on for ages about you know how I did take you um, uh, very very seriously as an actor and I very much have admired your work for, for many many Years, and you have great authority and dignity as, as Sergeant Craddock, Would you please send me a photograph of yourself uh, dressed in a policeman's uniform, uh, wearing uh, fishnet stockings and high-heeled shoes?
1: Which, of course, you obliged.
2: <laughs> well, of course I did, but bizarrely, that did come through, uh, come true later on. Uh, not in terms of sending a photograph, but uh, in terms of spending a very happy uh, year in the Rocky Horror Show. <laughs>
1: Oh, fabulous! Fabulous! That's, what, that's, yeah. what, that's really good. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. So, a great, great time um, in Harby. Just tell us: is there any particular storylines that you remember? Things that you remember that? Because, as you say, it wasn't all action packed. You couldn't have murders, but it was very much. You know, it's probably very social, wasn't it? In terms of its story. Yeah. Was there anything in particular that you enjoyed playing? Yeah,
2: the, I uh, the, the, yes, um, I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed the, the very my, my very first. Um, storyline again because you were it's always good to arrive as a catalyst in something and and to find the character um finding his feet and finding out who he who he liked and who he didn't and then unveiling the fact that he was a champion ballroom dancer upon an unsuspecting world and uh, i'd I'd had to do a foxtrot with Kasia Pelka and dancing if anybody who knows me uh, is like my room 101 of horror um Uh, But she was extremely good and extremely patient and I I did enjoy that and then much much later there was a uh, a storyline when my wife was um, uh, I I, I Think I thought she was unfaithful to it, but certainly there was a massive great crack in our relationship and they gave me some Some quite vulnerable quite sort of emotional stuff to do and I was I was I was very grateful to do that Um, but along the way um, I, I can't, and this is awful. This sort of fanboy stuff. I remember, I, I remember the guest stars, like, um, Gary Barlow, not, not particularly because he was, um, you know, what, what, what the drama was about, but because he was so nice. Um, he, he was a little bit in the wilderness years after Tech That, Take That had, had temporarily disbanded. Um, but he, he used to play for us, uh, in the evenings, uh, on the pub piano and he could play absolutely anything and he would go on just you know he's like, play this play this play this play this and he could and he did with a tremendous goodwill um so i you know that was that's a, a memory to treasure um charlotte church was in it david essex was in it um you know, gosh and and in a way uh, as, as well as being slightly you know fanboyish about it it's quite nice if you are a regular in a television series, to take the hosting duties upon your shoulders. In other words, you think actually it is done to me to make sure they're all right and to make sure they're welcomed and to and to see if they need anything or, or you know if if anything's worrying them. I can I can show them the ropes. Um, and I think people need it coming into a series like that, which is a, a, a moving train. Um, and, you know, it's, it's up to the regulars to, I sound very po faced here, but I really do think it's up to the regulars to make the guests feel at home. And the other one I remember, particularly because he was just one of the best actors I've ever, ever worked with, was Freddie Jones, who, who came in and did one enormous scene in the morning uh, being interviewed by me uh, in the police station and i i mean it was a huge scene he had massive amount to do and i really thought "I, i am working with absolutely a list here this is this is just this isn't just knocking something off by lunchtime this is i've got to up my game here you know he was wonderful the other thing i do remember very very well is that we were filming when somebody came in in the studio in leeds and said oh planes crashed into the world trade center and so that's, you know, everyone, everyone knows where they were. Well, that's where I was. I was in the middle of filming. Um, and we didn't believe it, of course, like people didn't. And then more and more people kept coming and saying, you've got to come and see this on the television. And then eventually it became obvious that work had to grind to a halt. Um, but that's imprinted on my mind.
1: Yeah, no, I think everyone remembers where they were. I was, I was a, a news um, editor at the time, a local radio station, and we ended up having to having to cover it, but nobody really knew. What was going yeah. on at the time? It until it, it obviously unfolded later on. And um, in terms of that character, then in uh, <laughs> in um, in Heartbeat, as you say, he was a bit of a grub, wasn't he? Um, did you um, you know? What did you take from him? Did, uh, was, was there anything you know? Is there anything about you know? Heartbeat fans will listen to this and be thinking i wonder what he's like is he like his? was there any of you in him at all
2: no <laughs> no um, i mean as, the, as there was a great deal of of charlie in me in, in darling birds uh, there was pretty well nothing of um of sergeant Craddock. i'm not authoritarian i can't dance um i'd like to think i had a sense of humor and i'm quite a friendly person quite easy to get on with all of which made it a delight to play somebody who was none of those things
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So finally, um, you're obviously still doing some great stuff. You're very multi-talented. You do direct, you do radio, you do TV, film, whatever. Just tell us give us a little bit of a snapshot, very briefly, of what you're up to at the moment. Is there anything, else, anything we should be watching out? For?
2: Yes, there is. If you go to originaltheatreonline.com, that's where most of my uh, work from 2020 slash 21 has been. There are two plays that we did on stage that I directed that were out on tour, which were uh, guillotined by the first lockdown. And they are both, we filmed them both, and they're available online. That's Alan Bennett's Habit of Art and a new play by Ali Mills called The Cross which is a ghost story set in Scotland Um, and then we made our own uh, ghost story which I've as I said I, earlier on I, I wrote the script for and co-directed which is called The Haunting of Alice Bowles which has got Tamsin Arthwaite and Stephen Boxer and Max Bowden who's um, uh, Ben Mitchell from EastEnders um, and that's a, that's a chilling ghost story a little while that'll give you the shivers for an hour and then as I say at the moment we're right in the middle of, of editing these four monologues there's Matthew Kelly, Gemma Redgrave Adrian Scarborough and John Culshaw from um, Dead Ringers, uh, th- these are pieces written for the radio in the in the nineteen eighties. But we're reimagining them as as l- little live action films, um, and they're brilliant. They really are fantastic actors, being great.
1: And where will we find them eventually? Where they're we- also
2: on the same platform, Original Theatre Online, to, for you to watch. Please do.
1: We'll do. We'll do. Thank you very much indeed. Lovely to talk to you.
2: You too. You too
0: philip frank's in conversation with ashley and a reminder you can go and search out some of philip's recent work by going to original distinct nostalgia is produced by mim and if you like what we do then please consider supporting us on patreon every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button thank you
3: Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast.